he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. This morning we're coming to an end of of our series, uh, The Stories That Shape Us. This series has looked at the stories that uh, are part of um, our faith, the stories that we have found all the way up to this week from the Old Testament that have shaped indeed the understanding of, 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 of the gospel writers that then have just kind of fed into our, our understanding of who Jesus is and what his miracles meant. And so we did an interesting exercise, something I had, had never approached, the way I'd never approached the gospels before, but I knew the gospels are probably the books of the Bible that we read the most, aren't they? Uh, the stories about Jesus, the stories about what he's done. If we want to know um, God's plan for us, or, or indeed the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we'll pick up the Gospels and read those. If we lead someone to Christ, usually the first book of the Bible we'll ask them to read is one of the Gospels. And so the Gospels are such an important part, but there's so many references in the Gospels to uh, areas of the Bible that uh, if we don't go back and look at them, we can forget some of those depth of meaning, the layers that are there. And so for the last two and a half months, we've kind of gone through the Old Testament all the references that Matthew has made in the Old Testament, we've, we've kind of gone back and we've, we've referenced that. And uh, we've hit all of them up to now. And so we get to the end of the book of Matthew. And uh, Alex read that for us this morning. And there wasn't an Old Testament reference there. But I found myself thinking, to close off this service, everything about the life of Jesus, everything that we are, we are supposed to share Everything that we've experienced with those around us. And this great commission, this, this calling to go out and make disciples of the nations. That we're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to disciple them, teaching them to obey His commandments. Like this, this, this call to us is something that faces each and every one of us. And Jesus' last words to them are this. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And those words are words that have just kind of resonated and stayed with us. And in fact, we have uh, the rest of Scripture is, is kind of just kind of laying out the faithfulness of God's people to that message and also their eye for and their concern for what does this mean that He's going to be with us to the end of the age. And so I found myself thinking, what if all these times we've looked back to give kind of background to this passage, what if this time to close off we look forward? And so I want to look at the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 22. Now, I'm going to confess I made a mistake in your bulletin. I updated all the hymns. I updated the date. I did all that. I did not update the sermon. I am not preaching the same sermon I preached last week, despite what the bulletin says. So I found myself thinking, so let's look to Revelation, chapter 22, verses uh, 1 through 21, and I'll read that for you. Now, I want to start off by saying that... This, the book of Revelation is a fascinating book and a wonderful one. And before I read it, I want to say this. Um, let's, let's hear it for the image that John uh, writes for us and, and the hope that he has. Try to read it with that, if you will. I remember the first time I was introduced or told about this book. There was a friend of mine when I was in high school. I had a, a, a handful of friends who, uh, in my church group who we, we would talk back and forth. And one of them was Tim Brooks, who you guys know. He pastored South Portland for a while. Another guy was a guy by the name of Jimmy, and he was just a prankster and a jokester. And those are stories for another day. But uh, he had come to me one day and said, 
Tempt him. Have you read this book called Revelation? Oh, it's amazing. He says, there are some crazy things happening there. It's supposed to be about the future. And there's like dragons and there's, and there's, and there's beasts and there's, and, there's, uh, and there's plagues and there's locusts. And there's all kinds of things happening there. It's amazing. You should read that. He says, hey, I have so many questions and there's so many weird things happening there. It's like, he's like, I got I to know what you think about it. Because we would sometimes talk about what, what we were reading in our devotions or whatnot. If we were part of the, as a part of our youth group. Now, at that time in my, in my faith walk, I was, I was a fairly new Christian, and I was just starting to get serious about my faith, and I had made the commitment of, of kind of, for the first time ever, kind of reading the Bible through. And I said, well, I'm kind of doing this like read the Bible through, and, the Revela- and Revelation is the last book of the Bible, so I'll get there, and we'll talk about it later. And I'm kind of glad I did that, because otherwise I would have approached the book with the same kind of, oh, what is this kind of mentality and kind of this, oh, I'm scared or I'm worried or whatever uh, that's going on. I'm glad I read through it. Now, that didn't necessarily change things. I guarantee you, my first read through Revelation, I had no clue what I was reading. <laughs> but uh, in fact, one of the things I love about the book is on every subsequent reading, like there's always something new that, that, that you're learning. But uh, one of the things that is helpful for, for uh, reading this is knowing, oh, I just knocked off. A uh, microphone thing. Uh, one of the great things about this book of Revelation is um, it is speaking to God's people. And it is ultimately giving them a word of hope. And I want to share with you this, um, this last chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, for the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, Well, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your comrades, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Well, let the evildoer still do evil, and and the filthy be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. See, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, sorcerers, fornicators, murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root 
and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let everyone who hears say, Come. And let everyone who is thirsty come. And let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. This is uh, uh, the closing uh, uh, story of, of John. He is painting a beautiful picture. He is painting this beautiful, wonderful picture of what heaven's going to look like. He, he paints this, 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 imagine this great canvas, and I'm going to explain it for you in just a moment, just this wonderful canvas of, hey, this is what things are going to look like. And he wants you to see that picture. He wants you to get all kinds of ideas and hope that come with it. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. He's going to paint the picture, and I'm going to give you the thousand words. Um, in, in this image, uh, we have, first of all, the tree of life. that comes right out of Genesis chapter 2. The tree of life has always been a symbol of life as God intended it to be. Uh, At the tree of life, this is where Adam and Eve were, uh, God's creation of humanity at the very beginning. And in this garden of Eden, they are free from trials. They are free from work. They are free from pains. They are free from mortality that comes from sin. In this moment, they have a relationship with God and a relationship with each other where there's no shame, there's no concern, there's no fighting. There's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful place. All of this in the garden around the tree of life. And John paints picture of heaven like this garden. Imagine this tree of life. Uh, look at this tree of life. It is, it is on either side of a river of life that flows from the throne of God. This is a reminder for us that this tree of life, this, this symbol of, of, of life, of, of wellness, of perfection, of, of heaven, of eternity, this symbol comes from and is sourced by God. Uh, this, uh, this, this reminder for us that immortality, that eternity, flows as a gift from God. It's not something inherent within us. It is not something found in some magical tree. Even the tree of life is sourced by the river that comes from God. This is not like Yggdrasil, the Norse tree in their mythology. The tree of life is a symbol that tells us to live with God for all eternity is indeed creation's purpose. Like this link of heaven to to creation is reminding us that creation's purpose and promise was that we would get to live with God and that His idea, His plan was relationship with us. That is His goal. And that we are saved by the grace of God that flows out freely to everyone. And this grace is indeed in this picture available for everyone. I mean, look at where the tree's located. It's on either side of the river. You have to use your imagination of how he would paint that picture. It's a tree that that just kind of uh, fits on both sides. There is no wrong side of the river in this imagery. There's no like, hey, you're on one side, there's someone on the other side. God's grace and God's promise is available for all. I mean, when it says, hey, it bears 12 kinds of fruit. When I read this in Revelation, I was like, man, I don't remember reading that in Genesis. 
All my childhood artwork said it was a, just an apple tree. Twelve kinds of fruit, this is amazing. But it's a way of saying it is available for everyone. So twelve is this, this number of completion. It comes from um, Isaac's children, the twelve tribes, of, twelve tribes of Israel, and then you have the twelve disciples. This idea that it is the completeness of God's promise and God's people. And that, and that everybody get, gets to be a recipient of God's grace, that God wants this for everyone. It's for the fullness of His creation, that all of His chosen people will be saved. And if John 3.16 reminds us of anything, it's that anyone who believes in Jesus as the Son of God is one of God's chosen people. There, and, and for this image, it says, there is no season in which it doesn't bear this fruit. There is no time at all in which God's grace is not available. It is always there for those who desire to receive from the life that flows from God. And just in case we miss the imagery of how inclusive this is, it says, the leaves will heal all the nations. There is no privilege. Everyone gets to be included in the grace of God. Of God. And that's just a wonderful picture, this wonderful image that, hey, God has not forgotten us. In fact, God has extended His grace to everyone, and we all get to take part in this. And it's such good news. And in fact, it says, hey, now let's look at the night. You're going to have a hard time finding it because God's light is going to radiate so much that you're not going to need a lamp anymore. Uh, uh, night is a place for predators, night is a dangerous place. If you are walking in the middle of the night down the street and someone walks up behind you, you get scared. (laughs) It's nighttime. Why is someone walking this close to me? There's no one else around. What's going on here? Night is a scary time. Night is also the time that uh, my cat asks to go outside all the time. Uh, All the time he's asking and begging, can I go outside? Can I go outside? And he's an outdoor cat, so we let him out. Then he asks to come in, then he asks to go out, and it's just... This, this, this terrible back and forth that keeps us up. And so anyway, but we'll let him out, and he becomes the predator. And we'll wake up in the morning, there'll be some mice on the deck for us, because he was out hunting, he was having a good time. But sometimes, when he's asking to go out, my wife will be like, I think I heard some coyotes out there, and I don't think we can let him out this night. There's a bigger predator out there. Now, night is a time where, where people are on the hunt. It's scary. And, and so for them, they, they know this. You know, this is, this is a time where, where, where life is fearful. And this, so this picture that there is no more night is telling us that this eternity is where the evil of this world is defeated, where God has created a safe haven for His people. And I want to give a little bit of a background of Revelation, of this book. It is indeed a book of hope. I think a lot of times it's kind of been commandeered as a book of fear, a book of... Uh, trepidation of, of, we better watch out. But when this book was written, it was a book of hope. So this, this book was written around uh, A.D. 96. And for the next 200 years, uh, I mean, somewhere in the 90s, 96 is the best guess, but uh, somewhere in the 90s, the book of Revelation is written. And uh, for the next 200 years, it's going to continue to serve as a book of incredible hope, which might seem kind of weird because I think most of the time these days, whenever people read it, they get a little fearful. But it was absolutely a book of hope. Now, I have been teaching uh, on the district uh, some people who are preparing for ordination, preparing like just basic education about, uh, of what our faith was. And, and uh, one of the things I've been teaching is this early church history course. And I'm going to give you guys just, just the quickest little breakdown, if I can, of just a, an example of what they're dealing with. 
So this is written right at the turn of the first century, or the second century. And, um, uh, and so just to give you an idea of some of the things that have happened, and some things that are going to continue to happen that the early church is going to deal with. Emperor Nero, 64 AD. There's a fire. It's uncertain, did he start it? Or is he just blaming other people for it? But he blamed the Christians. It becomes the start of this little sect of, small group of people called Christians who start to get blamed. And people start saying, oh, we don't know if we can trust these people. And he uses all the influence he has to point his finger at the group he doesn't like and say, watch out for them. And so now there's all this uncertainty with Christians. The next emperor, Vespasian, he's actually going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to destroy the temple. In 70 A.D., this temple, which was still a very important place of worship for Christians. And it's after the destruction of that temple, they would begin to understand that, that this Holy Spirit of God that came, that was poured out on the world after the crucifixion of Christ, after the Pentecost, is, is continuing to be with us even despite the temple being gone. But that temple would be destroyed. It would change their thoughts. The next emperor, Domitian, he, he, would, he would hear that, hey, I keep hearing that the Jews are expecting a king on the line of David. And that Christians say that king has come and it's Jesus and he has family members too, brothers and their, 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 their children and on and on. And so, so he, he decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to wipe out the family lines of David and Jesus. I'm going to try to kill them and make sure that there is no threat at all to the throne of Rome. Uh, another emperor by the name of Trajan at, at the turn of the 2nd century would, would make Christians swear fealty to the emperor and to the gods when they went to the courts. Now, he did say, he did say, now we can't just persecute uh, Roman citizens, even if they're Christians. That would just set a bad precedent. But if you take them to court for something while they're in the court, you can say, will you swear uh, uh, obedience to the emperor? Will you worship the gods of, of the Romans? And the Christians are like, oh, man, I, I, they wouldn't do that. But the people who knew they wouldn't do that and wanted their property or wanted their job or wanted something, they take them to court. And so they were starting to experience a second-class citizenry. In less than 100 years, Emperor Marcus Aurelius would say, Christians who don't recant can actually be killed now. Within just 100 years, their lives are at stake. And, they, and he was the one who started to substitute them for the gladiators in the Colosseum. Uh, an emperor afterward by, by the name of Septimus Severus would, would, say, would force them to assimilate to their faith and say, there is one faith, and it is the faith of the Roman gods. And then later on, even, there was an emperor named Decius in 250 who said, you have to sacrifice to these gods and sacrifice to the emperor or face torture and death. The emperor after him would, would blame the Christians for a pestilence and a famine. He took, he took a page right out of Nero. Hey, let's just blame them for what happens so that people don't blame me for not having properly prepared or taken care of things. Uh, the emperor after him would have an edict forbidding Christians to meet in public and even forbidding them to meet in, in cemeteries. Yeah, Christians used to meet in cemeteries. The reason they would do that is because in those cemeteries where the saints that had been persecuted before were buried... And so they'd honor their life, and in that honoring of their life, they would break out in worship, and they would start honoring God. And so the cemeteries became a place of worship. And then at the turn of even the 4th century, last emperor to persecute them, Diocletian, it was called the Great Persecution. 
He said, we're going to totally exterminate them, destroy churches, knock them down, do everything we can to get rid of them. For 300, nearly 300 years, the church faced the worst persecution it had ever faced. And so when the book of Revelation is written, they didn't wonder to themselves, well, I wonder what the book of Revelation means when it talks about this beast. I wonder what it means when it talks about uh, this beast of the earth or the sea or this dragon or, or these various bad things that are happening and the horsemen and all this kind of stuff. Oh, I wonder what it means. You didn't have to ask them what it meant. They could point to the emperors. They could point to the people who were doing the very things that the book of Revelation talked about. They didn't have to try to play guessing games with this and wonder who this was. They didn't have to work up a strategy and a theory so they could sell their millions of copies of books or get their millions of viewers for their movies and their shows. The early Christians knew who he was talking about. They said, wait, we we can point this beast out. They, They didn't have to get caught up in playing identification games and miss the entire point of the book. Because the point of the book was, this is what you are facing, this is what you are going through. The good news is that through this, God will still see you, and God's going to deliver you, and to the faithful, there is a promise, and there is a hope, and there is good news in the face of adversity. It was never meant, this book was never meant to be a mystical guessing game. It was always meant to be a source of hope for the church. And so the church held this this, uh, this book in safety and, and, and read it again and again for hundreds of years before they said, hey, this is a part of our Bible. This is a part of our canon. This is good news for the church that will be good for them forever. And so this book of Revelation says to them, hey, don't seal up these words in verse 10. Don't seal them up. The time is near. You might remember when uh, I preached from Daniel. In Daniel chapter 11, he had given some predictions and warnings about an abomination that might happen. And and in Daniel, he said, hey, seal up these words until that time. Seal them up, because then when it happens, you're like, oh, we know this happened. And the book of Revelation says, we're not hiding anything. You see it. You experience it. I want you to know today that there is hope and that there is a future we're not hiding this. We're not, we're not sealing this up. This word is important for today. We are supposed to carry this message. The church is supposed to share this with their, their Christians and with their world. That despite the kind of rulers that they've had, despite the kind of beasts that exist in their world, nonetheless, there's a hope and there's a future for you. I think the weirdest, perhaps the hardest verse in this, in this whole chapter, is verse 11. Verse 11, if you look at that, it says, hey, basically it says, let the people continue doing what they're doing. Verse 11 says this, let the evildoers still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. That seems strange, doesn't it? But I don't think this is laissez-faire economics or libertarian ethics. This is not, you do you, or it is what it is or to each one their own kind of mentality. And the context of the entire book of Revelation, I, I think he's, he's, he's telling us that there is a future despite what is happening. Remember in elementary school or high school, when someone would do something and you get in an argument with somebody and they, they say something and you just say, all right, all right, say it again. Say it again. I dare you, say it again. Right, right? Like, you guys know that scene? You've seen that scene at least? Okay, I dare you. Say it again. And I think, I think that's the way we're supposed to read verse 11. Okay, evil, 
Keep being evil. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, filthy, so, so be filthy. All right. Continue doing the things that are not according to God's plan. See what happens. And the righteous and the holy don't succumb to the ways of the world. When you see that uh, they seem to be getting ahead or they seem to be uh, uh, doing, uh, you know, getting ahead in their world because they're lying and cheating and hurting other people, don't do that. God has called you to righteousness and holiness. Continue in that. And so then he, he goes on to talk about what's going to happen. So verse 14, he starts saying, Blessed are those who have <coughs> washed their robes. Blessed are those who have kept the commandments, who have uh, put themselves before God. They have a right to the tree of life. There is a promise for them. There's a hope for them. There's an eternity for them that all that they have experienced is not going to get the final word. God's going to get that. And verse 15 warns us of those who are on the outside, those who stay out. Now, I think we're used to hearing verse 15 as a way of accusing people who aren't holy enough, of scaring people into heaven. You don't want to be on the outside. You don't want to do X, Y, or Z, or else you're out. And there are entire evangelism strategies that have been used to scare people. If we can scare people enough about you might be on the outside, then maybe we can get them on the inside. And so from the Middle Ages, it was, uh uh-oh, you've sinned. Uh, You know, uh, now you're going to go to hell unless, of course, you give some money to the church. And then the Protestant, the Protestant Reformation happened, right? And, uh, and they said, okay, we're not going to sell indulgences anymore. We'll do something else. But even, even in my time, like, there, were, there were entire elaborate productions created about scaring people out of hell. If you scare them enough, maybe they'll choose the tree of life. I want to tell you something. That wasn't necessary for the early church. You didn't have to scare them. They looked around and they said, we're scared now. Someone could, when someone knocks on my door, I don't know if they're taking me to court. When someone knocks on my door, I don't know if they're going to string me up somewhere. They're scared now. For the early church, they were like, you know, we don't know who we can trust. We don't know what we can say. We don't know if we can worship publicly. We don't know what the next edict coming down is going to be. And every ruler that seems to come next is worse than the one before. You don't have to scare them. What they want to hear is that they don't get the last word. That God sees all that and knows that what they do doesn't last. There was a lady in in one of my first churches who came up to me and said, Hey, Pastor, I have a question for you. And she said, "If, If you confess your sins and you say you believe in Jesus Christ, you get to go to heaven, right? I said, Yeah, absolutely. That's the gospel. That's what we believe. And it doesn't matter what you've done in the past, right? You could have been a terrible, horrible person, but if you... Confess to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. He'll forgive you and you get to go to heaven, right? I say, yeah, absolutely. I said, I said, you had the Apostle Paul. He actually killed Christians. But he turned around and, and then he became the greatest contributor to our New Testament and, and without a doubt considered one of the apostles. His life was absolutely turned around. Yes, yes, that is a part of the gospel. That God is so forgiven. He says, she says, Pastor, uh, I'm afraid to go to heaven. And I said, what? Why? And she said, I was just told that somebody who did terrible things to me has asked for forgiveness. And she says, and I'm afraid. I'm afraid to see him there. You see, her entire childhood was spent living early church experiences. 
You didn't have to tell her who the beast was, who the horsemen were. She knew his face. And she wasn't afraid of hell. She was afraid of heaven after someone told her he had accepted Christ. Verse 15 is a word of hope to those in the church who have been persecuted, accused, abused, and destroyed. It is a way of saying there is nothing but safety here and there is no chance of being re-victimized. It is a way of saying, whoever has done what they have done before, you do not have to worry. God will make sure they cannot do that in His heavenly kingdom. You are safe here. And so my words to her, my words to anyone in those kind of situations is, God in His infinite wisdom knows whether or not that person is able to be in His kingdom. Whether or not that person is indeed safe. And in fact, will be able to create an environment, a heavenly environment in which whoever is there will not be re-victimized or will not feel bad to be in their presence. I don't know how He's going to do it. I don't know how He's going to separate it. I don't know how He's going to restore it or heal it. But the whole story of heaven is, is a place of redemption and healing and forgiveness. And only those who are committed to Christ are a part of that promise and that blessing. Verse 15, I don't think is... When I I think of the way what the early church was going through, and when I think of her, I I think of verse 15 not as a word of of a scare tactic. Oh, we got to make sure people know what they ought not to do. I mean, yeah, you you better not do this. (laughs) I mean, that element's still there. But heaven and hell was was not meant to be a scare tactic. It was a word of good news to a persecuted church who was saying, what happens to these people who are turning turning their backs on each other and hurting each other and killing each other? God, are you going to take care of them? And God says, oh yeah, they don't get any part of this. Verse 15 is a way of them saying, there will come a time when the problems of this world do not enter my kingdom. And this is the hope of the gospel. This is why he says, go out into all the world then. Uh, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's talk to them about what Jesus Christ has done. A picture, a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That there's healing, that there is, that there is life. And that this is a promise for all of us. And this is why the gospel is called good news. Is because the gospel says what we are doing is we are inviting people to live in the relationships God has created us to be in. To love one another and to love God. And to figure out how we can honor the God who has said, not only have I put you in this world for that purpose, I have promised an eternity where you will get to live into that purpose. And we are inviting people into that good news. And to know that whatever has happened in the past, or whatever you might experience now that might be a hardship, is something that does not enter God's kingdom. This is the hope of the gospel. There is always a safe place, and there will always be a God who loves, protects, and our future is freed and released from the worst our world can do. And so Jesus says, Jesus, the Lamb of God, At the throne of God says, come. Come, drink well from this river of life. Eat till you're full from this tree of life. Come 
and everyone who desires to come and receive the gift of Jesus Christ. And so this is the words of Revelation. And the words of warning at the end of this book are that we would know without a doubt that Jesus has come with a promise and a future and a plan for each one of us. And indeed, we are invited to receive Him into our lives, to, to, uh, to confess our sins, to turn to Him and say, okay, God, I want to live for You. I want, uh, I want a relationship with You where I know without a doubt You love me, You care for me, and You have a future for me. I want that blessed assurance that we were singing about today. This morning, uh, as we do every week, we're going to have communion. This symbol of communion is a symbol indeed of the kingdom of God coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And indeed, uh, um, he was rejected, turned away. And we get to come and receive these emblems that are reminders for us that our God has said there is forgiveness and there is hope for this world. And there's also redemption and healing and an invitation to receive the resurrection that Jesus experienced. And so I'm going to invite you to come. Let those who are thirsty and hungry come and receive the grace of our Lord who promises indeed a safe place. And it is the Jesus who promises to be with us now and to the end of the age. It is a hope for today and a hope for tomorrow. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that uh, that the gospel has always been a word of good news. That from, from the moment Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven and sharing about your love, that Lord, wherever he went, there was healing. Wherever he went, there was forgiveness and there was reconciliation. That, that wherever he went, people saw that you were at work. And Heavenly Father, I, I think in various parts of our life, we can point to moments where your Holy Spirit has been at work and has changed and affected us and helped us in relationships or helped us in, uh, in struggles. And you've given us victory. And I thank you so much for that, Heavenly Father. And, uh, and God, I, I hope and I pray that today we would recognize that that hope and that assurance and that promise is something that continues to go with us. And that, Lord, we might find that where there's uncertainty or where there's questions that have arisen because of the ways in which we have read this book in the past, that we would remember that your final word is that you have a future and a hope and you desire to be with us now. And that your plan is the same plan it's been since creation to dwell with us, to live with us, and to create harmony among us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for that promise and that gift of life. Help us, Lord, to receive it openly. And help us, Heavenly Father, to turn our spirits to you, that we may share that love and that grace and that hope with the world around us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you as you serve him this week.